Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades followed close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Do you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for moments like these where we can dive into your word and learn more about you. Lord, give me the words that I need to speak. Speak through me as you only know how. Lord, open up our hearts to receive a more heavy message today. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. We got a lot of ground to cover as we're going through chapters 6 through 11 of the book of Revelation. And so I'm going to get right into it. We're, we're going to get right to the point. So today what we're talking about is the seals of the scroll. And, and if you remember from last week, if you're here, if you're not, then you can go back and look. But the scroll is what contains the meaning of life. It, it exposes all of history leading to this moment and what all of history has meant. And if you remember from last week, none of us were able to open this scroll. None of the heavenly creatures, the four living creatures, none of them were able to open this scroll to break any of the seals and there was chaos, there was panic, because no one was able to reveal the meaning of life. But what happens is Jesus comes in, and the image of him is a slain lamb. He comes in, and he is the only one who is worthy to open this scroll, to break all of the seals. So we're talking about the seals that are holding the scroll closed, and then the seven trumpets to follow. So the first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the, 
the four major things that will bring suffering and destruction on earth. So they're not good. Uh, they're not something that we really necessarily want to see happen, but we know it has to happen before Christ will come. And their sole purpose, each of the four horsemen, are to destroy earth in a different way. The white horse, uh, the first horse that is mentioned is this white horse. And the rider, he's wearing this white robe and he's carrying a bow. And, he's, and Revelation says that he's riding out as a conqueror that is focused on conquest. Now, this rider is what we would call the Antichrist. This is the imitation of Christ, but it's not the real thing. So he looks very similar. Right? He has those same type of images that we would attribute to Jesus because in Revelation chapter 19 is where we see the description of Jesus riding in on a white horse, clothed in white, but there is a difference. So this one uh, of the four horsemen, it, all, their sole purpose is to destroy earth. Right? Jesus is coming to make earth what it was always meant to be. So there's a difference in their motivation. The Antichrist is coming to destroy the people. Jesus is coming to save the people. But there's also this slight difference that if you're not paying attention, you might very quickly run over when you're talking about the description. So the description of the Antichrist is that he's coming in on a white horse. He looks like Jesus. He might smell like Jesus. And he appears to be like Jesus, but he's holding a bow. Whereas Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 looks like Jesus, is Jesus, but coming out of his mouth is a sword. And so the difference is Ephesians chapter 6. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, talking about putting on the armor of God, is it not Satan that throws his fiery darts or shoots his fiery arrows at God's people? The Antichrist with his bow. Is it not Christ who is the word? And is it, not, is it not the word that is as sharp as a double-edged sword? This is where Jesus comes in. His word is enough to destroy evil. Whereas the Antichrist doesn't speak because he doesn't have any truth to speak. And so the Antichrist will come and this is how he destroys his people. He comes to convince people that he is Christ to lead people astray and so they deny the one true Christ. And the scary part of this is that what it's saying is that there is a way to believe in Jesus that has nothing to do with the Bible. There's a way to believe in Jesus that has nothing to do with the Bible. There's a lot of different uh, ideas and thoughts, and you probably see this with different uh, groups, Christianity groups that call themselves Christians, but they believe and they act out of something completely different than what the Bible tells us, they, they start acting on their sin and they justify their sin, right? This is not what the Bible teaches us. If we sin, if we have sin in our life, we're to repent, not justify. And so all of the, uh, the way to believe in Jesus, but actually be focused on this white horse, the Antichrist, is to not repent, to justify your sins. And this has nothing to do with the Bible. So if you start limiting the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, if you start living out in your sin, but still believe that you're following Christ, if you're putting Jesus in this box, you're actually moving away from Jesus of the Bible 
and towards this white horse that seeks only to destroy you. This is the type of destruction that the horse brings, the white horse. Next one is the red horse, uh, which is described as fiery and red. And it's assumed and it's uh, interpreted that this is the horse of war. Now, Jesus warned about this in Matthew 24. And, and if you look in Matthew 24, you'll see all four horsemen represented in what Jesus prophesies about the end times. Now, we're not going to go through all of those. You can go that uh, and do that on your own time. But Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, Jesus says this, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So this red fiery horse will bring war on all of creation he will pit people against themselves so that they kill themselves and and so yes when we think of war we think of nation rising against nation we think of uh, wars happening between two different countries or these countries versus these countries and we have that war and there's bloodshed and, and the red horse is definitely in that but he doesn't stop riding in times of peace. In those times of peace, what he is doing is making you mad at what someone else said so that you start being filled with rage and anger and eventually you will, you will explode out in all of your anger. You know, if you bottle up all of your anger, all of your feelings, all of your doubts and your fears, you will eventually explode. And this is what the red horse wants to happen. We're all, we all have anger, we all have rage within our hearts and so there's tension in some of our relationships. There's tension in our environment. There's maybe even tension in your family. And all of this is the red horse making his way into your life. And this is how he destroys us. That even if it's internal, even if you never say anything about how it's actually affecting you, and all on the outside seems to be at peace. You know that inside your heart, you're not at peace. This is where the red horse does his best work because eventually you will explode and eventually nation will rise against nation. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. These things will happen. The black horse is next, which we attribute to famine. If you look at chapter 6, verse 6, says, then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, if you notice right here, this is poverty portions, right? So going back to their context, this is something that they would ration out if they had very little food, they would ration it out in poverty so that these people would have something but it's never enough. Now, what's interesting is that he's, they are not to, uh, this black horse is not to damage the oil and wine. Now, the oil and wine were attributed to luxuries. And so let me, I'm, I'm really good at talking about food because I love it. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna, since we're talking about famine and, and it's attributed to food, we're gonna talk about food for a second. So if I, if I, for breakfast, have this nice plate of, of eggs and, and bacon and sausage and, and, you know, whatever else comes with breakfast. No, we're not doing waffles or pancakes. 
because that comes later. Right, so let, let's just have this, this basic protein meal. Maybe you got like a nice piece of toast with some apple butter, right? And, and so all of this, you, you eat it. Maybe you have two eggs, a few pieces of bacon, some sausage, right? When you eat that, you're filled up, right? It, you feel full, like saying that you had uh, enough to, to fill you up. Now, if we have like donuts and pancakes and waffles, how much more do you have to eat, right? So like two eggs and, and three pieces of bacon and a, maybe a sausage link or two can fill you up, but five donuts might not fill you up, right? Because donuts in this sense is a luxury. It's full of sugar. It's full of empty calories. It does nothing for you except make you feel good. I'm not dogging on donuts. I love them, right? I'll, I'll eat them all the time. But simply put, this is a luxury. And so what is happening here is that all the eggs, all the bacon, all the sausage, everything that gives us nutritional value is taken away and portioned out so that you never have enough. But all of the donuts, all of the sweets, all of the luxuries that we have stay. Which means that in our body, our body is never satisfied with what we're eating because all we have are the luxuries. Now this can very much be seen in a spiritual sense too. We have less of what we need and more of the luxuries that just soothe our feelings of hunger, soothe our feelings of what we actually need and desire. And so what the black horse does is takes away what we actually need, which is a true relationship with God, and instead gives us what the world wants us to see as luxuries, wants us to uh, look at these luxuries and consume these. And so the black horse and the white horse work very much together because the black horse takes away all these needs and the white horse comes in and says, hey, look, here's your savior. You're going to have a bunch of donuts. This is your savior. This is going to soothe those feelings of depression. These, this is going to soothe your hunger that you have inside of you. It's going to fill up that hole inside of your heart. And so you need to follow me as the white horse rider. And because we are starving in our nation, we're starving in our world, we see so many people fall for these traps. And it seems so great like if I was a kid and I had the choice of eggs and bacon or donuts, I would go for the donuts every day. But now, as much as I may want the donuts, I know that my body needs the protein. It needs the nutritional value. And so in my spirit, I may want to sin. I may want to fall into temptation, but I know that it's not healthy for me. And in the end, it will only Fill me up so much before it destroys me. It's like fattening up a cow before it goes to slaughter. This is what the black horse does. The pale horse is next. And the color pale in the Bible is more accurately translated as a yellowish green color. Now they put pale because it's the color of death. It's the color attributed to death. So in our context, we, we think of death as pale, right? You lose your color, so it's a pale color. But yellowish green, it's also 
the color of sickness and, and death. So this is the color of the pale horse, sickness and death. And this is what um, this horse brings. Death comes in and Hades is very close to follow. So death comes in, sickness comes in, and mocks all of our advances in technology because people's lives are still being lost here physically on earth and people are still getting sick. Now, as advanced as our technology was, the, this pale horse came in with this little thing that we like to call COVID-19, right? Came in, got a bunch of people sick, and caused a panic, right? Now you're, you might be able to connect and see how, how these horses are working together. Because what happened? We were isolated. We were starved by the black horse. And when we were starved, we started looking to the white horse for things to soothe all of the depression, anxiety, fear, whatever it may have been. We looked to him to soothe it. We looked to our luxuries that we had. And since we are in isolation, right, you know that there's a difference between face-to-face -face conversation and texting. You can take very easily, the red horse can very easily come into your life and interpret a text a completely different way than what it was meant for, and you have internal rage. So all of these horses are working together, and they're riding at any given moment. You have famine of the soul. You'll be looking to the Savior and the white horse and the Antichrist, which will leave you dissatisfied, tired, angry, giving into the red horse of rage and warfare in your relationships and within yourself, causing anxiety causing depression, causing fear, and the list will just continue on. And if these people are never born again that are experiencing all these things, they will eventually meet your, their fate, like all of us will, of death, of the pale horse. And if we're not careful and we're not witnessing to them, Hades will come and snatch them up, and they will spiritually die. Now, if you don't think that it can get any worse than this, we've got seals five and six that will also bring destruction seal number five is religious persecution and martyrdom people will die because of their faith and because they're proclaiming their faith number six is natural calamities like earthquakes tornadoes tsunamis hurricanes and, and things like that and this is why we need to focus on the throne of christ that we talked about last week because all the governments all the world powers nothing's going to be able to save us nothing's going to be able to withstand the attacks of these four horsemen and the two other seals that are going to be broken. No one will be able to stand against it except for God. Because in chapter 7, God sends angels to the four corners of the earth to hold back the destruction until the servants of the Lord are sealed. Now, when Revelation asks the question, who can withstand this? The answer is God and his people. We are the ones that stand against these horsemen. We are the ones that when they come into our life and we're truly followers of Christ, they cannot stand against us. They cannot come in because we have Christ within us. And so we're the ones that stand against the horsemen and praise God's name right in their face and they can't do anything about it. Right? In the midst of all the suffering that we will face here on earth, we can still sing songs of praise 
that God is still here and that we know that we have the ultimate victory over all of this, that no matter how much suffering, our reward will be so much greater than what we went through here on earth. So where chapter 6 is all about the destruction, chapter 7 is all about the praise. And while we stand in the face of the four horsemen trying to destroy us and distract us from the living God, we will sing our praise. We will know that if we focus on the throne, the, the throne of the Messiah, the throne of Christ, they will not be victorious. They will find their fate of death and we will stand living. And so how do we fight against these? The white horse, we proclaim salvation in Jesus' name, which means that we have to be grounded in our doctrine of God's word and live it out. For the red horse, we embrace the spirit of peace. We, we make peace with our relationships. We don't bottle it up. We don't act on our anger because if you remember somewhere in scripture, it says um, in your anger. So God knows that we're going to be angry and that we can have a righteous anger, but in our anger, do not sin. And so as long as we aren't falling into the temptation, what's very easy to do when we're angry but not sinning, but have a righteous anger, then we can fight against the red horse. The black horse is that if we stand together as a community, the division of the rations of food will divide people and it will cause people to focus on themselves. But if we stand together, if we focus on loving others, knowing that our needs are met through Christ in a community, that's why church is so important that we meet together as a church. It doesn't matter where we meet, but us as a church community help uh, all of us fight against this black horse, fight against all of the four horsemen because we need community. We need to know that we are for each other so that we're not focusing on ourselves, but we're focusing on God who is helping us see others. The pale horse, death is coming towards you. It's coming towards all of us. But we will fight by praying and expecting illnesses that we face to be healed, but leave our hands open, knowing that God is the one in control and we are not God. The beauty of Revelation is that where there is destruction and suffering and it will continue to get worse as the end draws nearer, we will stand in the victory in the end singing and praising God in front of our enemies. Which leads us into the seventh seal being broken. When this seal was broken, there was silence in heaven for half an hour as they watched what was to come. So every seal that was broken, there was something that was revealed. The first one, it was the white horse. The second one, it was the red horse, and, and so on and so forth. But this seal, when they... When it was broken, whatever it revealed in that moment, all of heaven was silent as they were in awe of what was revealed to them. Now what we do know is that once the silence ceased and they started praising God again, the angels were handed these seven trumpets. Now I'm going to go through these trumpets very quickly. The trumpets are a window into the mercy of God toward those who have yet to repent. The seven trumpets are to be applied to the ones who aren't saved yet. And so these trumpets 
are meant to cause all of creation out of God's people to realize the true reality of God's throne and the throne of Christ, call attention to their idols, and invite them into life abundantly through repentance. Much like the plagues in the book of Exodus, it's the same way with the seven trumpets in that God is calling the nation to repent. God is calling his people who have not accepted his call to repent. He's calling all of creation to repent. But also know that with Egypt and the Israelites, God protected his people through all of it. So everything that we're about to discuss very quickly through the trumpets, God's people will be protected from this. This is written from the world's perspective of what the world will experience as we are protected from this. So the first four uh, trumpets are centered on creation. The first um, destroys uh, the third of all earth, plants, and vegetation. All of them are burned up. They're gone. So it takes a third of all of our food supply. The second was a mountain. It was set on fire and it was thrown into the sea, killing a third of all creatures living in the sea and destroying a third of all of the ships. So this is taking care of uh, more of our food supply that comes from the sea and then destroying a third of how we get there, all of the transportation all of the ways that we get food to places. Third, uh, the third trumpet was a great star fell from heaven to earth into the rivers, and a third of all of the water was bitter and unable to drink. So this puts strains on our water supply. A fourth, a third, uh, the fourth uh, trumpet, a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the sun, moon, and stars went dark. Now, I want you to notice that they're not completely destroyed. Uh, you'll see in this and you'll see in the other trumpets that there's always a third mention. There's a third of this, a third of that. And know that since God has all authority in all of creation, he very well could have made the third 100%. But he chose not to. He chose to only destroy a third because he's full of grace and mercy. So if you remember last week, I talked about us building up our sandcastles in the water, destroying the sandcastle. This third is the sandcastle coming in so that the ones who are left have an opportunity to repent, have an opportunity to come to know Christ and to, to be in a relationship with him, to follow him and to serve him, much like we do as Christians today. It's enough of, of a destruction to alarm them and to wake them up, but God's mercy didn't destroy them all. all right, so the fifth trumpet, uh, it gives an angel a key into the depths of the earth, and there's these creatures that come up, they're released on the earth, and they torture people who aren't followers of Christ. All right, and there's some very detailed descriptions of these, but basically what happens is these, uh, this demonic power places suffering on earth, and it leads them longing for death for five months. But the creatures were instructed not to kill them because God spared them to give them an opportunity to repent. So all of these people, they, they wanted to die. All of the world wanted to die, but they couldn't. They, they couldn't taste death because God was sparing them so that they might repent. The sixth trumpet sounds and the four angels... Four angels and their armies were released and they killed a third of all mankind 
through plagues, smoke, and sulfur, or through the plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur. So a third of all of mankind is destroyed. They're killed. They're gone. That's over two billion people if that were to happen today. So only a third was killed, giving an opportunity for, for two-thirds of the people to repent. But in verses 20 through 21 of chapter 9, we find that the two-thirds that were kept alive by the mercy of God do not repent. They continue in their destructive ways. And so you can tell by now, the judgment of God is serious. It's very heavy, but it's also full of mercy. In between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, we find this story of two witnesses. These two witnesses, they proclaim the, the truth of God and they proclaim the need to repent. So what these two witnesses are doing, they have a, a global type of platform to where everyone is able to hear their message that they need to repent. The people of all of the earth who haven't repented, who aren't followers of God, they need to repent. Like, you know, all of this, all of our land that was destroyed, all of this other things, the third of everything else that was destroyed, all of this is because God is desperately wanting to wake you up so that you know that he is in control. He is the one with all the power, all the glory, all the honor. And he wants you to be, to accept this invitation into life abundantly through repentance. So put away the white horse, put away all of your sins and just come to him. And these witnesses, they, they preach. They call people to repent for over a thousand days. And when their time is done, when their witness is over, they are killed by the beast. God will raise them from the dead in front of all of creation. They will walk up to heaven on a cloud in the presence of all of their enemies. And in that same hour, a tenth of the city that they were in collapses, killing 7,000 people in an earthquake. But the survivors gave glory to God in that city. Now, you see here there's a tenth. There are times in the Old Testament and in Scripture where God only spares a tenth. You can see the reverse of here where he only destroyed a tenth and left nine tenths an opportunity to repent. This is full of mercy. And it may not seem like it to you, but it's full of mercy. The seventh trumpet is the final trumpet where the kingdom of God has come. It will reign forever. This is the trumpet that as Christians we will hear as victory. This is our victory trumpet as God and Christ come down uh, like we'll see in Revelation 19. They will come down here on earth. They will conquer. They will destroy all evil so that there is no more suffering. There is no more grief. There is no more death. There's no more tears. There, there's no more, none of this, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more depression. All of these things will be gone when Christ comes back victorious. And when we hear this final trumpet sound, all of God's followers will be cheering because we know the battle is won. 
that we're not just expecting it to be one, we're not just waiting for it to be one, but that it's actually one. For us Christians, this trumpet of victory. But them, the ones who denied Christ, the ones who did not repent, this trumpet is heartbreaking for them because they will see the end of them. And I say all of this throughout this sermon to give you this reality check of what is actually happening in this world. That if anyone in your life who doesn't know, doesn't follow Christ, if they are so far away from Christ, they will see this fate. We don't know the hour or the day or the minute or the second like we may like to, to know if we have time or not. But we don't know. We don't know when this trumpet will sound. We don't know when Christ will come back. And so I don't say any of this to make you afraid. I know this has been used in the past to cast fear into people, and this is how a lot of people were, were converted because of their fear. They, they wanted to go to heaven because they want to experience all this stuff. Right? I'm pleading with you, this is not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm trying to push you to see the victory and want to see the victory for other people. That if we know that we're victorious, that we're going to be saved from all of these trumpet things that happen, that, that while we may experience the seals being broken, that God will continue to take care of his people and that in the end, no matter what we go through, no matter what we suffer, our reward in heaven will be greater than that and we will see that victory. But I want that image of your victory to push you to look at your neighbor, to look at your family member, to look at your friend, to look at that person that's just walking around in Walmart that you see all the time. Want them to see that victory too. So take a good look at yourself. Find out where you need to repent in your life. Now I encourage you to do so, but also know that prayer supplemented with conversations of Jesus with your family, with your friends, and all that you encounter could save them. And I want you to pay very, very close attention. Prayer supplemented with conversations. It's not conversation supplemented with prayer like we often do. It is prayer supplemented with conversations, no matter how painful or awkward they may be. If we come into and we focus on the throne, we come into this throne room, we will pray to God to see those people experience that same victory. You see, when it comes to prayer, Paul will say that we are co-laborers with God, that we are working with God to change the future. Now, this future is a definite future, but the future of your life, the future of your friend's life, your family member's life, that is not a definite future yet because you are co-laborers with God, which means that even though it is their decision, God can soften their heart. But if you're not asking them, him to, will it ever happen? I don't know. And so as we pray to God, 
he pushes us to have these conversations with people. So it's prayer supplemented with conversations. And so I will forever rejoice knowing that victory is mine in the end. That no matter what I go through here on earth, all of it really doesn't matter because I know that at the end of my life, whether it's when Christ comes or whether it's not, I will experience the victory at the end. But I also desire to see my neighbor and my friend and my family members have that same victory. I want to see them stand right beside me as we cheer at that seventh trumpet. So God has placed you in your life, in your situation, in your environment, in your family, in your friend group. He surrounded you with people to be a witness to them, to be one of those two witnesses to them and to their life. So no matter how awkward the conversation is, no matter how painful it may be, I'm going to ask you this, knowing your victory and knowing their fate, Will the victory that you have in Jesus push you to relentlessly share the gospel in love and truth for them? Or is the conversation too awkward to care? Is your time dedicated to praying too much of an inconvenience in your life with how busy you are? Or will this victory push you to say, I will set aside time to pray? I will set aside time, as awkward or painful as it may be, to have conversations with my loved ones because I want to see them experience that same victory. So this is for you to reflect on in your own life. What does the victory that you have in Christ push you to do? If it's not pushing you to go and find the lost, then I wonder where you are. Heavenly Father and gracious God, I pray in this moment that maybe you, you gave some people a reality check, that you woke them up. And Lord, for the, the ones who might be awake, that you've empowered them to continue to push and be better at what they do, to be better at their prayer life, to be better at communicating with you, to be better at communicating with other people and sharing the word to go and to make disciples. Lord, I don't know what's going on in their hearts and their minds and their spirits right now, but I know that you can give them victory. That whatever struggles they face, you will give them victory in the end. Lord, and if there's anyone in this room or on our online campus who doesn't know you, I pray right now that you soften their heart and they find this need to repent in their own life so that they can come into a relationship with you. They can come to serve you and they accept that invitation into life abundantly through their repentance. Lord, I pray that you wake us up as a church. Lord, we may, we may see things as a win here on earth, but ultimately we know that there is a lot of work that is yet to come. So Lord, make this church, make these people workers for you to go and to make disciples before that final trumpet 
sounds. For it's in Jesus' name.